Welcome to the Art and Business of Music podcast hosted by me, Jimmy Davis, aka Tapes, where we explore what it takes to be a creative and professional in the industry of music. Please do follow us on all social media platforms at the AABOM podcast and let's take the conversation even further. I'm joined this episode by singer, educator and 80s pop star Victoria Perks aka Vix from Fuzzbox. Vix toured the world as part of the all-female quartet and had huge hits such as Pink Sunshine and International Rescue. This podcast is a tapes production brought to you by Brum Radio. Enjoy the episode. How are you doing, Vix? You okay? Hey, yeah, I'm good, thank you. Always good to speak to you, Jimmy. Likewise. And we're, we're conducting this interview in a, in a technologi- technologically savvy way. <laughs> using Tech Zoom. savvy will do. Just, <laughs> yeah, just abbreviate it, mate. Come on. Um, yeah, so we're using Zoom and we're talking to each other across the, the digital airwaves. Uh, it's a little bit weird. We're, we're in the midst of lockdown and, and COVID-19 and everything. And um, yeah, how, how, how's, it, how's it been treating you, Vix? Are you, are you coping all right? You getting on okay? Yeah, I mean, at first, um, I was kind of quite pleased to have been sent home. And then um, about a second day, re- realising the enormity of having to work from home and homeschool and, you know, like the, all the normal stuff of running your house, your dogs and cats and all my, you know, music side of things um suddenly all got a bit it, bit much but to be honest until like the last couple of weeks I've really quite enjoyed a lot of it I've enjoyed spending more time with my family um I I've always loved working from home it's always felt like a treat I think that's novelty has worn off the last sort of week or two um there's no real break I can see how people feel when you know you sort of I'm sitting in the place where a lot of the time where I sit to you know, watch telly or, you know, if we're doing like having a sort of a, a naughty so couch sofa kind of scoff in front of a film and things like that. So you haven't necessarily got that same break from it all. And sometimes you feel like you're not doing a good enough job with, you know, balancing homeschooling as well as trying to do your work. And do you know what's disappointed me about myself as well? I had all these amazing ideas and of course, when I'm talking to other people, because you know I do well-being and, and mindfulness coaching and all that malarkey, and I'm saying, what amazing opportunity this is to be really creative and learn new skills and get yourself out there. And I thought that I would be one of those people because I had all these ideas, um, some silly and some like really quite good. And I just haven't done them. I've just been too exhausted, if I wanted, and just too sort of preoccupied with everything else. So I'd say that if you feel the same don't feel bad let's not feel bad but that's the honest truth yeah absolutely and I think I think you're so right on a lot of a lot of levels there we've had to adjust our lives so much haven't we and, and although we are creatures of habit I think variety really is the spice of life man and yeah. you know and you don't have that same interaction do you you know when you get that energy back from people when you see them and I'm a really tactile person so you know I'm used to hugging people not just randomly people in the streets although quite happy to not at the moment um (laughs) so it's difficult you know with my mum and going anywhere else and seeing other people so 
they can feel really restrictive. But I think overall, I feel really lucky because I've got a lovely family and, you know, I've got a house with a garden and we've all got enough space. So we're, to be honest, we're like really some of the lucky ones. I just really feel for people who are, are in tiny sort of flats and, or tower blocks with no outdoor space. And, you know, and if the temperature's getting hot or there's nothing you can do about it, it just must be awful. So thankfully, it's loosened up a bit now so people can get out and about, which we all need. Absolutely. Yeah, but you're right. We do have to count our blessings in these situations, man. Very much so. Um, all right, let's let's dive in then, shall we? Because I'm sure, like myself, a lot of people listening will want to really get to know about you and your journey. So let's start with where did the creative journey begin for you? Because like, how did it all start? Well, as kids, we spent a lot of time with our cousins and the sort of extended family. And um, Boxing Day was a big deal for us. We'd take it in turns to go around to one of the family's um, houses and uh, we'd, we'd put together these amazing shows and dance routines and um, songs and performances. And we'd all jam together. My uncle's a really good like guitarist and ukulele banjo player and stuff as well. And everyone can just sing beautifully in harmony. We're all like big music lovers. So I think that it started really early age and I loved singing, you know, in school choirs. I was part of like the church choir and so on as well. But I've just always really loved singing and performing and acting. Um, it's just always been kind of intrinsically part of me, really. Wow, yes, yeah, so you had a really kind of rich musical thread running through the family in, in various ways, yeah. Yeah, always singing, always had music on, yeah. Lovely. And when did it become, like, something you took seriously? Well, <laughs> there's the question. <laughs> um, because if you know anything about how first box started... Um, you know, that becomes kind of quite a, a funny question. So when um, I was 15, I was out clubbing. Sorry, I was, I was underage, but I, honestly, I behaved myself. Um, Terrible. <laughs> um, well, I, we used to go to a lot of, my friends and I at school, we used to go to loads of gigs. We were mad on music and we'd travel and go on coaches and go to see, you know, bands in Nottingham and Wolverhampton and all over the place together. Um and then we were at a, a, at a club which played a lot of alternative music. It was sort of, it was mid-80s. And at that time, the alternative scene in Bern was absolutely kicking. And it really, it was generally like really an eclectic mix of people. So it wasn't just like kind of gothy, punky people. There were hardcore punks and psychobillies and rockabillies and um, just oh, hippies and everything, rockers. And we all hung out together, all got on absolutely great, all listened to each other's music. And we used to support each other's bands a lot as well, you know, as in go along and watch them. And Powerhouse, as it was then, goodness knows what it is now. We was were it asked... Near, near the Hippodrome? Yeah, really big one on the corner. Yeah. By Mr Egg. Eat like oh. a king for 99p. That's what it used to say, and that's what we used to do. <laughs> oh my gosh, legendary Mr. Eggman. Wow. Is it still there? It, it is, but it's, a, it's sort of in a different kind of guise. But yeah, it's still called Mr. Egg and it's still there. <laughs> yeah. Does it still say eat like a king for 99p? It doesn't. Does no, it? it definitely doesn't. They changed their branding, man, sometime. Oh, that's, that's disappointing me. That's, that's sad. But uh, anyway, um, some friends of ours were doing a, a gig that Sunday 
And um, this was on the Wednesday, I think. And they said, oh, do you want to come along and see it? I said, yeah, yeah, of course. I said, who's your support band? Because we were interested in every layer of, you know, the musical scene. And they said, oh, we haven't got any. If you know anybody, can you let us know? And we still need to sort a support band. So basically we volunteered to do it. Um, said we'd do it. And it was like, I didn't know you were a band. We we're like, yeah, 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 of course we are. Um, and off he, uh, um, it was Maggie actually volunteered. <laughs> we got together on the Sunday afternoon, having never been in a band or anything before. Although I've done things like the solo, you know, solo singing competition at school and choirs and things. And Joe could play a few chords on the guitar. I think that was, oh, Maggie actually, she was play piano, but we didn't include that in the um, lineup because it seemed far too high for looting. So we got together in Maggie's boyfriend's cellar. She was five years older um, and kind of just looked at all his amazing instruments. His band was called Family Patrol Group and they were very experimental. So um, there was like a, a, a battered old violin that wasn't in tune that they used to put through all these effect, effects pedals like um, delay and so on. Um, and we loved that. And we just played it like, not in any proper... <laughs> You're enjoying that, aren't you? Not in any proper way at all. Um, and it's like, well, you know, I'll, I'll have a go on, on bass, I'll have a go on guitar. We didn't even realise at that point that bands tended to have bass and guitar in them. I don't know, after seeing so many bands, where we'd miss this. So one or the other. Um, and we just cobbled a few things together. There was a sort of a, I don't know if it was a song or a poem I'd written and called Console Me, and we worked on that put that together we did a cover of fever but that was all very you give me fever oh 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 if you weren't around at the time you'd think this is really strange but there was a lot of yelping and whooping going on in <laughs> oh i still love it all that um because and i loved elvis and peggy lee so we we kind of made that into a bit of a weirder version and then what else oh Oh, we did Spirit in the Sky. Um, and so we only had three songs. That was all we could cobble together, like, in a, a few hours. So we, we did the gig, and it went down really, really well. I think at the time it was um, it was very sort of, everyone was in grey or, or black, a lot of the bands that were out there it's kind of doing their thing. And we kind of turned up in all these really colourful kind of net outfits that, that we'd made or my mum had made and from the rag market and we just looked really crazy with our colourful hair and everything I think that everyone was just like what the hell is this like what where have they come from but I think it was a breath of fresh air um and we got asked to do do an encore we only had those three songs we just had to do one again and then we were offered another gig to our amazement and at our second gig we were signed up by local label Vindaloo Records Ta-da. and off we went wow. what a story you know this is it's like a dream for for anyone wanting a really great story about how a band started um oh my god it, it really is and you know sometimes when i'm asked like you know how did you start you know give us some advice you know if i'm doing things like seminars or guest speaking and in a way i feel like gosh i feel a bit of a, a bit guilty or a bit of a fraud because we didn't try hard but what we did was be different. We grabbed an opportunity and made an opportunity and made the most of it. And we were different from anything else that was going on then. So, yeah, that would be my kind of advice, I suppose, to people. Be, you know, be yourselves and 
be be different. Yeah, this is it. And, it. and it really sounds to me like, I mean, firstly, almost as if you guys were sort of pioneering the left field experimental side of music in the 80s just by, you know, combining some weird ideas and doing things differently. With, with the yeah. And also there was that pop sensibility. I mean, I particularly, you know, um, was always singing and so on. And, enough, and we had quite different taste outside of the alternative music scene you know I was really into like rock and roll and um you know Phil Spector that sort of music and a lot of the time uh and, and a lot of guitar driven stuff like Led Zepp and so on whereas um you know someone else would be into like gay disco or um experimental stuff or classical or indie I mean it really varied but we had a common denominator with this Sure. Yeah, and it also sounds like you you had a really strong identity through your image um, straight away. We did. I mean, that was very much part of what we were into anyway. And I still see it. I love now. I, I, I know a lot of people kind of belittle the fact that you can't be a serious musician if you're into your image, but it's really exciting to me and interesting to me. And, you know, I, I'll dress differently every day depending on how I feel. And obviously, if I'm on stage, it's a, a different thing and it depends what and a lineup I'm going out as I said what I'll wear and I think it's really it's, it's it's an intrinsic part of you and we were always very much into expressing ourselves um you know in the way that we wore our makeup our hair our, our clothes as well as the makeup so yeah we just went out and were ourselves really we didn't think about the image at that stage at all yeah and I think it's interesting what you say about the whole kind of, you know, you can't be serious if you if you if you're bothered about your image or whatever. And that's what some people say. But for me, being a modern day artist, if you're not paying attention to your image, then you're really missing out on a crucial element of your brand and your branding. That's like a major part of it. Absolutely. I mean, th- there's very much that. But for me, I love it anyway. I've yeah. always, you know, I loved it. I've always loved doing the photos and the videos and, you know, looking at the artwork and putting all that side of things together, the visual side as well. I, I really like that. And I think it is a good idea. You're going to have to do it really anywhere, otherwise someone will end up doing it for you or people will get very confused with the message you're trying to put out. So, you know, you've got to find something that's comfortable to you. Not everyone's going to want to dress up like we did. That's that's fine, but you still need to find like what's what's you know what feels comfortable to you, what reflects you, and shows you off in your best light. Yes, absolutely agree. So okay, so you you hooked up with Vindaloo Records, lo- local record label, and I'm guessing they got the name because of Birmingham's famous kind of curry scene. <laughs> oh yes, when we used to go. Um, it was up Traff Road. It's still going, actually. The Cabo Beach, we used to quite often go to that curry house with them. And, oh, my gosh, they, they'd have foul curry. They were so hardcore. And, like, we weren't quite as hardcore as that. Madras is about as far as I normally go. Um, but Rob Lloyd from the Nightingales was running the label. And there was Ted Chippington, who was, like, one of the, the very, very first alternative comedians. Um and toxic shock and it was yes it's pretty cool label to be on and so so it sounds like you you developed a a strong relationship with those guys and did they sort of did they kind of nurture you and did they give you some freedom and allow you to just you know get on with things artistically and creatively at that point it was very much just working together although remember like three of us in the band were four girls three of us were only like 15 and 
and then wow. turned 16 and then Maggie was 20 so I know it was just absolutely nuts so we didn't really like it was just all a complete whirlwind you know <laughs> but they they were happy that we were what we were no they were definitely weren't trying to graft us into anything else um you know just like to sort of being the way we were yeah there was there was there was none of that. Of course, you know, they might suggest something like a the guy who did our video was absolutely ace the first video. 37 quid. See, these days, actually, 37 quid wouldn't seem like an unreasonable budget if you're doing one like a one year on your own. But in those days, all the videos were like tens of thousands of pounds, really. Um, so we just did our little cheapo one and it, it did all right for us at the time. Absolutely brilliant, man. Yeah, bring back the days of the £37 video. For <laughs> um, so just sort of fast-forwarding a little bit, slightly, you, you put a record out with Vindaloo, yeah, your first album. Yeah, um, so we put out a single. What would, I mean, they just said, John, put out a record. We thought it, they were taking the mickey. We honestly thought they were joking and uh, eventually realised that once, once we are in the studio making the record, that, oh, okay, they're serious. And it was so nice. It was all about coloured vinyl, so it became kind of quite a collector's thing. And by then, um, John Peel and Dennis Long has really jumped on board and were kind of pushing us big time. So uh, we were getting more gigs and things. We didn't really tend to rehearse very much. We just tended to kind of get on stage and see what we could do um and gradually build up what we were what we were doing how did the relationship uh develop with john peel and janice long did, did the label have already have a connection with those guys or yeah was... they were already playing um the nightingales and were fans of like ted chippington and other acts on on the label so okay. it was and you know what at that time birmingham was just absolutely brilliant for supporting local bands and so on um it's not nothing like it is now where you would actually have talent scouts at you know a newspaper you would have proper music writers at the the mag the, the magazine the papers the you know and the um radio stations were real local radio stations and i know obviously thankfully we've still got radio wm which is like which is great that plays some, some new music on bbc introducing and so on but at that point they could do what they like they really could if they liked you. And they said, come on, take over the whole show. And the DJs would play what the heck they liked and would cause an absolute riot. You know, so, and the local scene really, like, jumped on board and helped promote us in, in all areas of the media. And we were really lucky. And do you think it's been to the detriment of the, the Birmingham music scene that we've lost that sort of local media culture? A hundred percent. It drives me absolutely mad, and I do rant about it fairly frequently. Um, and I mean, it was BRMB, which is now Free Radio. I remember, we, you know, us just completely taking over with a DJ called John Slater, and you know, you could just go on and play all your own music, and it's, it's sort of kind of what we're doing now. You know, you could, they were allowed to do that; they had that freedom. Whereas, of course, now they're told what to play and what to say, and they're not allowed to have unsigned bands. It's just I just think it's absolutely disgusting, actually, that the local, you know, radio stations and so on don't have more support for unsigned artists. I mean, you know, an hour a week or something they might give to a show. It's just not enough. 
Yeah, it, feel, it feels like there isn't any at all, to be honest, in my experience. And although we do have this really strong kind of grassroots scene with Brum Radio and Switch and, mm, exactly. and some others doing their thing, but it, it, it doesn't feel like, it, you know, that although that those guys are doing amazing work. and, and Thank God for them, yeah. Yeah, but it, but it just feels like they don't quite have the listenership that those other stations do, does it? Of course not, because, you know, they've got a huge budgets and they're part of a massive you know a global radio where they're part of, part of a huge network but it would be so much more exciting and I actually think a lot of people would be really happy to hear some more music even if like they don't want to play the whole song or don't want to do the whole show that's fine but just to be putting bits in and out and that's where Radio WM can be good as well because there might be like an afternoon show or another show I mean I've been on probably all of the shows about different topics so if there's something that you've got to talk about, then you, you often can get get on because of your story. So I do appreciate that. But I I think other than yeah, Brum Radio Switch and so on, then we'd be stuffed, wouldn't we? Absolutely right. Yes. Um, okay. Cool. Let's have a bit more of a rant in a bit, but let's get back to. So you you put out your your, your single and and eventually an album with Vindaloo. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. And then that kind of, well, you know, from my understanding, that, that went pretty well. Would you agree? Yeah. Well, by then, we'd actually signed over to WEA, which is part of Warner's. Warner's. They okay. don't agree. They don't exist anymore. But um, so, but, but at that point, we were still allowed to kind of be, you know, how we, how we wanted to be. And we were still punky and everything. So we hadn't gone all major. Um, we, we had like an intermediary group um, label as well to sort of ensure that but yeah it was put out through WA so then we started to get more budget behind us that was quite good okay and and at what point at what point did I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the big question here Vix what point did you did you become the central focus and the sex symbol of the group man (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, I don't know about that, but <laughs> um, well, I, <laughs> I think that when we went on to do the second album in particular, but even really um, as we started writing more and more songs, because Maggie did a lot of vocals as well. Me and Maggie used to do a lot together. And then it kind of, I'm not really sure how it happened. I suppose I was kind of always the, the singer of the, the band that like always had done lots of singing and loved singing. Um, also, as time went on, I think the other three kind of became less enamoured with the music business. Um, and whilst there were a lot of things that did irritate me, I still loved, as I said, like the whole the videos and the image and the co- <clears throat> costumes and that sort of thing. Sorry, um, and I think they started to find like the the pressure of it a bit too much. So I said I tended to get put more to to the front. So I'd be doing probably more interviews and so on. Also, it became more traditional to do that. So people would be like, "Who's the lead singer?" In the early days, like, well, you know, um, we both sing, or, or we all sing sometimes, or um, it's just all four of us. We just no one's hurt. When you start doing photo shoots for like smash hits and all these magazines and so on they expected to be that one focal point in in the middle and I mean the whole thing about like sex symbol thing honestly I wasn't even 
aware of my sexuality until I was about like 20 odd. Okay. I genuinely, I didn't dress to be sexy. I just, I've always been very comfortable with, um, not exactly nudity because I'm not really, <laughs> but, um, you, you know, as a family with, we were overly shy about stuff like that. And if we went to a beach and I'd probably, you know, have next to nothing on and my dad was a real sun worshiper and, you know, we, we weren't kind of overly sort of prim about things like that. And so it was just like what I wanted to wear. I mean, when I look back and I'm wearing like a bra, which is a bit decorated with, you know, a bit of gold chain or something on, like, what was I thinking? Like, what was I thinking? How could I think that was a top? But I did. I just thought, oh, that's nice. Oh, I like, oh, I like those little hot pants. And that's just, it was just like that. <laughs> really naive. Oh. Do, you, do you think that it was because, was a part of that because you were just sort of, as well as being young and carefree, but you just weren't conscious of things like that because, I mean, was it even a, a big thing back then? Were people, you know, was it frowned upon or were people like, oh, look at look at them wearing next to nothing? Or did get a lot of grief. Really? I mean, a lot of people, of course, liked it as well. But, um, yeah, we did get ever such a lot of, like, I mean, some of the, the, the questions as well that people would ask it, it we felt that we were kind of victimized because we were you know girls or women that the questions sometimes that top journalists would ask you for things like melody maker and sounds like all these an enemy for in the guardian or whatever the reputable kind of music or mainstream press and they'd ask things like so why why do you wear so little clothes or do you fight over boyfriends or how do you decide what color lipstick to wear and you're just like, are you serious? Are, are you flipping serious? I remember the first time we were asked, um, so why are you all girls? We literally looked along the line at each other, the four of us, like, sitting in a row, like, up and down the line, go, oh, my, oh, oh yeah. Oh, so we are. Um, well, we just are. Oh, we're friends. And, like, we just put band together. We, it, was, it wasn't a conscious thing. It wasn't a marketing ploy. It was just what we were, but then we began began to sort of champion the cause of, you know, females in music. Were a lot of those people who were asking those questions male? Not only. Really? Not, not, yeah, really. Wow. Hugh and Cry hated us. Five Star hated us. <laughs> no, sometimes it was feminists as well. But you know what? There wasn't a single journalist we didn't turn around. We even had public apologies in papers for saying we thought that they were going to be really thick bimbos. Thanks. Nice. Um, but actually they're really screwed on. They're really intelligent and kind of, you know, make feminists with small lefts and things. Um, so we, we did change people's minds. And I think that became kind of quite fun as well. So, right. You know, that people, that, that they're going to walk in. We had an amazing manager as well. She was, she was a staunch, feminist uh, feisty as hell and we were lucky to have her she was absolutely great so she'd always be clues up on these beforehand and so would know that like they're going to come in and want to absolutely annihilate us and they just they couldn't really because we were just down to earth like decent girls with you know a few brain cells between us <laughs> more than a few uh, <laughs> but I mean you so you were massively in the midst of a male dominated industry then weren't you I mean things are a little bit better now but probably not a lot um how did 
yeah, how was that? How was the whole kind of culture around being females in the music industry? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it was irritating because it, obviously when we started off, yeah, we, we couldn't really play our instruments particularly. And if that had been like a male band, they'd have been like, oh, good on them, punk ethos, DIY, yeah. Uh, whereas because it was girls, you know, we were seen as being a bit useless and stuff. I remember, I think it was in something like The Sun or The Mirror, something naff, and it said, can't sing, can't play. And that really, like, actually, it really crushed me. And I still, you know, because I can still remember it to the day. I didn't mind about the can't play so much because I thought, well, that's, I, I can sing. Like, um, you know, might not be like the best voice in the world, might not be to your taste, but I can sing. Um, And so, yeah, there was a lot of that kind of thing. And we started to realise that they wouldn't be doing this to to guys. uh, I mean, we'd see other bands, say like Jesus and Mary Chain, who we supported, and they were thought of as super cool. And we watched, actually, we can play as well as them. We know those chords because we were learning really fast as well, of course because um, we're learning mostly kind of get get another gig the next week or two and then another another and we just didn't stop once we started we were touring um the UK and touring Europe and stuff so we were like on the go but um yeah we could play it as, as well as most of the like indie band scene no problem yeah and by the time you got to signing that deal we've been taken on by WEA how old were you all then well, that that was um, we were still on the first album when we were still quite kind of punky poppy type of thing. So that was only about seventeen-ish or something, maybe eighteen. Wow, sixteen, seventeen. I, I ought to know these things really. But it was funny because it was like a, a gradual takeover because Bindaloo was still involved and we had this <clears throat> company I major in between, and then um, WA bought us out from Bindaloo. Well, also we thought. I mean, we thought that, that Vindaloo must have had a massive, great big buyout. And in some ways we were quite hurt. But also we sort of thought, well, I suppose maybe at this point, because things are so busy and we're, you know, the demand's kind of pretty high now and we're selling records and stuff. Maybe we should be on a major. Maybe that's the right thing. But it wasn't until years and years later, probably only a few years or so ago, that I managed to speak to Rob and he said he was absolutely like broken hearted when we were, when we went, I was like, you're kidding. What? You know, he said they hardly got, I don't know if he got nothing or they hardly got anything for us. I I know this just makes me really sad because, you know, it's a shame really. I I wish that Vindaloo had been taken on, you know, like something like XL records or whatever, where it's still an indie label. Yeah. Um, you know, or Island and those kind of smaller labels that can still exist. It'd, it'd just be wonderful if they could start it up again, but I don't suppose that'll happen. Mm. Yeah, what a shame, man. And, and it makes you wonder how many people that might have happened to, you know, in, in those eras. Um, yeah, and especially being so young, you're not really involved in the, like, the business and the politics of it all. And so it just kind of all happens over your head, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, cool. So let's let's dig into some highlights then, because I'm sure you've got a lot and, um, you know, I could speak to you about your journey all day. I feel like there's so <laughs> many nuances to it and so many threads. 
But yeah, let's get into some highlights. I mean, I don't know, moving on to your second album, was that a big career highlight with Fuzzbucks? Yeah, so second album. Um, well, actually, I'm good. The, one of the highlights is definitely from the first era, which is was playing at Glastonbury Festival. And oh, wow. that was absolutely awesome. The thing is, it was funny because in those days, I don't know if like people can imagine now, but it was a proper, proper hippie festival. You could have left your tent with all your belongings in. No one would have touched it. It was completely, you know, beautiful place to be, really spiritual. And yeah, that feeling of trust and earthiness, you know, nature, etc. And oh, gosh, there we turned up on, it was on the John Peel stage. And um, I mean, I had this hideous tinsel wig, silver tinsel wig, and oh, is it silver or red? It's just some awful tinsel wig, and t- like silver eyelashes, and we all had uh, things drawn on my face. We all had all these tutus, luminous colours, and we literally walked out on stage, and you could actually hear a sharp intake of breath, like <gasps> a gasp. Oh, it was just hilarious. Honestly, it's like they're just like <laughs> weirdos that have landed from outer space into this beautiful earthy hippie festival. And so it was a bit weird, but we won them over and they loved us in, in the end, of course. <laughs> um, so that was really, really wonderful. Um, and of course, it's such a prestigious place to, to play, isn't it? And then second album, I guess Top of the Pops would have to be a highlight. What? So what year would that be? Yeah, um, that was like 89, around 88, 89. Because um, we did, I think, eight performances for Top of the Pops. Um, they're playing quite a lot at the moment, actually, on the Top of the Pops 2, on BBC4. They keep doing the replays, so that's very nice. Uh, I love Top of the Pops 2, man. It's so oh, yeah. proud of it's just brilliant. Awesome. Well, as we're recording it now, it's actually on tonight. Apparently, my mum's told me, but um, that won't be relevant to, to anyone listening to it, of course. But that was that was pretty cool because it's. But I've got to be honest; it was more the the fact that you could say you were on top of the pops and you could like watch it and see that you'd been on top of the pops and this experience themselves because they were right. I mean. Like, oh my god, they were so strict. They treated you like you're at school. Well, I suppose some of us kind of hadn't long left. Um, but to everybody, they're really like you know, they'd make you go down these corridors and you weren't allowed out of your room until they came and got got you. And and then if you didn't if you did anything in the performance they didn't like or that they wanted you to do, then they would tell you, you know, well, if you don't do that, then then you can leave. Now mm, flipping okay. Um <laughs> So wow. they were really, yeah, they were harsh. But we used to sneak out of our room and put little notes under the door for like New Order and Simply Red and the cult and people like that. And sometimes we'd knock on the door as well when if we'd have a lookout, we'd go and knock on people's door and think, hello, we just thought we'd come with us books. <laughs> and we'd go and say hello to people because otherwise it could be a bit miserable. <laughs> so hang on a minute, right? We've got to get into this. Who was the the standout person or band that opened the door and said, come in, guys, and that you had a chat with? New Order were really nice. Wow. They were lovely. They were they were very friendly and, and they were cool. Um, Simply Red were pretty cool. Roachford, yeah, the cult. Was that because Mick Hucknall just, like, wanted to see, you know, how many of you he could charm? <laughs> well, maybe. 
Wow, so cool, man. So, and, and, you know, it, it, this will be last on a lot of people, um, young people this, that yeah. might be listening to podcasts from, from a different generation because they'll be like, what, some of the pups? But for anyone that knows some of the pups, that has to be something that you're just so proud of being on your CV because I know I would be. Yeah, I mean, in a, in a way, it's a shame now that things like Top of the Pops and, and Smash Hits, of course, which is a massive, like, pop magazine mm. for years and years, it's a shame that, like... Now, well, the new, new generation is like, so what? what? So what's that? Um, and it's it's not relevant. You don't tend to have those brands that just last for years and years. But, yeah, it's, it's still cool to have done it, of course. So cool. And what about in terms of, so you've mentioned Glastonbury. What about in terms of any, any other gigs or any kind of tours that you might have done that really stand out as highlights? Well, after we'd done UK, we've been to Europe a couple of times, I think. And then we went to um, America and Canada. That was great. Um, very different from like city to city, how the audience reacted. Some of them would be screaming their heads off. And honestly, we went on stage and they're, they're like absolutely screaming. We're looking, we were literally looking behind us. We were standing on the stage, looking around to see who that was screaming at. And we're like, and then the people go, it's you, you fools, it's you. All oh, right, yeah, yeah, not in the Brummie accent, though. <laughs> but then you go to another place, you know, like um, Philadelphia or something, and they'd, they might all be sitting on the floor with their handlebar moustaches and, like, their kind of cool clothes and there was fake fur all over the walls, a terrible high fire hazard, but looked awesome. So that was quite an experience. Um, my favourite place was, was probably Japan because we toured the Far East. And for me, that was kind of a bit where I kind of came of age. I mean, I was 18, 19 or something at the time. And it's the first time I genuinely really enjoyed being abroad. Like I was horribly homesick all the rest of the time. Um, and I just was really loving the culture. And I was a bit older as well. So I suppose I wasn't getting homesick in that same way. And yeah, I loved it. And I finally was taken in you know, the cities that you're going to and, and everything else. And I think before, honestly, it just feels like a lot of it feels like an absolute blur. And I was not drunk the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Fair bit of Bailey's consumed, though, if I'm honest. Wow, amazing, man. It just sounds like you you, you were just given this incredible opportunity at a pretty young age. Deserve- well, I'd always wanted to do something like that, you know, sing, act, perform and so on. The others hadn't, and I think that's probably where... The difference was I still had that, like, you know, that ambition, whereas the others hadn't, hadn't sort of got that same dream from when they were little. Okay, amazing. So let's get into then a little bit about how the creative process works for you then, Vix. Do you have a particular approach to creativity? Any kind of routines or rituals? Any specific methods? Have they changed over the years? Yeah, I mean, I think for a long, long time, like most singer-songwriters, I just relied on inspiration. So, you know, you might be just kind of walking down the street or you might get together in a band rehearsal or see something on a film that you liked. Or it, well, it, just, it was just easy to sort of come up with little ideas. Whereas I think as time's gone on, I've had to find more 
structured ways of doing it and actually like I lecture in songcraft and things like that now songwriting and actually it's been amazing because I've realized that a lot of the things I was doing have got posh names and stuff to them (laughs) 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 and that they are real real techniques um so yeah it, it was it was great to sort of learn that you know that but also have learned some new stuff as well some which is really nice to work with other people young people and inspire them um but I suppose most of the time I can come up with something if I want to I I don't judge myself too much I don't start thinking oh you know this is going to be rubbish or this is rubbish I just let myself you know write lyrics or write melodies or usually they come together for me so if I've got a melody probably get a melody first and then the the lyrics that seem to fit it or I might pick up a theme or a title I quite like working from something like that you know if I just think of something that and that could be from anywhere it could be a book a film somebody says something um you know just literally just just anything um and then work from there really and do a bit of a brainstorm so I try not to think I've got to come up with like get start writing the verse and that has to be done and then the chorus or whatever just however it comes out I don't care it might be a list of sort of cool rhymes it might be a load of words or themes might be cliches that I might even get rid of later but they leave me somewhere so I try not to be at all precious when I'm coming up with ideas and don't scribble them out you know you can always start another page but keep it there because this is something that I really try to sort of teach, you know, when I do things like community music groups as well, is just let, let it all out. And then even if it sounds naff, it might lead, you know what you're trying to say. So therefore you'll find a cooler way of saying it, find a better way of saying it. I find to come up with a lot of my ideas when I'm driving, actually. Um, I think it's because, not that I'm driving really at the moment, but when I was driving to and from work, because it's uh, one of the only times I get to myself. <laughs> um yeah. So that's that's always a good one. And you do go through kind of peaks and troughs, don't you, where it's just coming out and all the time you've got loads and loads of ideas and other times it all feels a bit barren. But I think those are the times to go back into your little book. And I do think it's nice to have a lovely songwriting book that you can put all your ideas in, have a load of titles, have a load of themes, have a load of just, you know, words that you're going to come back to. Um, so sometimes it's about finishing them, isn't it? I have lots and lots of little ideas on voice notes as well, forever doing voice notes. Um, yeah. And I do label them because I know lots of people have like hundreds and hundreds, but I do label them as I go so that I kind of know, uh, yeah, I can look back at them whenever I want to. So having that big kind of um, treasure trove that you can keep dipping into any time you want to. And I love working with other people because, I mean, if somebody does a backing track for me or, um, you know, wants me to do like a guesting thing or they've got a chord pattern, I mean, I can come up with something really easily because it's sort of, it's something I wouldn't necessarily have come up with myself or I play my ukulele and play around with that and see what comes out. A lot of really great advice and ideas in there, man, absolutely. And I'd, I'd certainly go along with a lot of them. Yeah, are, you, are you the kind of person, Vic, who you can sort of rely on a lightning strike of inspiration or are you someone who needs to sit down regularly, uh, you know, day after day or at a certain time and just put the work in? Do you know, I'd love to sit down at a regular time every day or, you know, a few times a week and do that. I just don't find that I've kind of 
I feel like I've not got the time. Whereas yeah. maybe it's, you know, just other stuff kind of drains your or you know a lot of your kind of energy and creativity so I, but thankfully I, I can't I've all, I can usually come up with stuff and, I, and if I can't I can dip back into my little bag of goodies and find something there so yeah I'm, I'm, I just don't worry about it. if I'm drying up you know people get really freaked out about having writer's block I just don't think it's um, I, I refuse to think it's a thing it's just that I haven't found the way to write today or this minute. So maybe I'll write with someone else or maybe I'll look through all my list of, of titles or maybe I'll pick up a book. Uh, maybe I'll ask somebody what I should write a song about that I haven't written something about yet. Maybe something will get, get me upset on the news or inspire me. It's, you know what I mean? So it's just trying to find other ways. There's always another way. And I think it's always just expecting to be inspired. And that's the only way you write. That just that ain't going to work long term, really. Yeah, absolutely. I think something I try and impress on young people is that when, when you are their age, you kind of think you've got all the time in the world and you don't necessarily use the time productively and wisely. And then when you move to middle age, you kind of realise that life is so busy and so crazy that it is a struggle to try and fit this stuff in. Um, yeah, so it is, it is. Um, time management, is that, an, is that an important one? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you've got to make sure you've got a bit of downtime as well. You know, and I love things like gardening and walking my dogs and stuff like that. So um, and do mindfulness and meditation. So a lot of the time ideas come then. I mean, actually, it's so it's like a bit of a Kate Bush thing. But um, I was walking the dog at the weekend and this bird was doing this amazing melody. I couldn't got my phone out and it, it, it did it a couple more times, but I didn't get it recorded in time, but I recorded the tune. It's like, whoa, what a cool little song. <laughs> so just being really open-minded to where those ideas come from, and especially for the second album, once we were properly with WEA and Warners with Fuzzbox, you basically, you know, you had to come up with stuff often, but, you know, you've got today to come up with a song. You've got, you know, the end of three weeks to come up with 10 songs, whatever it was. So we, you know, you were under pressure to come up with things within a certain time. So those are learned to do that at a young age. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you, you've mentioned something really important there for me, like using nature as a source of inspiration. And yeah. in this situation, we currently find ourselves in, that is one of the gifts that we're being given. The fact that we can hear the birds singing more clearly than ever. You know, and we're really tuned into it as well. So yeah, um, big time. Yeah, exactly. So we've got to use whatever we can, really. Um, I don't. I don't worry that I'll kind of dry up from ideas. I mean, Maggie and I from Fuzzbots are still writing together and still releasing stuff. We've got a um, a special box set coming out soon. It would have been sooner, but because of it being physical copy the record label and stuff are sort of having to wait a little bit but I'm sure we, we will be releasing some really nice stuff we still you know gig and do festivals and so on so brilliant yeah. it's fantastic man to hear that you're still you're still out there enjoying it and and you know and uh, and having fun yeah and I still I kind of I really love Americana music so I've got Vixen Her Mischiefs as well which uh we we did quite a, a lot a lot a while ago, and then Fuzzbots kicked off again in a big way, sort of doing uh, let's rock tours and 
festivals and things. But um, we're still that's still kind of there, and you know, we're going to be doing some more gigs at the end of the end of the year. So it's nice to have both things, you know, the kind of poppy buzzbox side of things, and then the kind of rootsy side. That's that's kind of me, I suppose. So where can people find some of your music then, Vix, if they want to check out what you're doing? Well, plenty. We, we, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not so good at social media these days because I'd like to spend more time on it in a, in a way, but it's just, you know, life's so busy, isn't it? I do post stuff up occasionally. Though. I normally go through Instagram now and then that can sort of splurge over everything else. Um, but, yeah, go on social media stuff and... I mean, Amazon and all those usual places have got lots of our releases, plus loads of different solo stuff that I've done over the years, all sorts of guises. And Vix and the Kicks was another like little kind of pop rock band I had, all-girl bands. I, got, I seem to have a penchant for all-girl bands, don't I? I've had three. <laughs> Absolutely, man. But um, there is nothing wrong with that, you know, girl power and... Female presence in the music industry, more of it is needed. Yes, exactly. Play some more instruments. It's, it's lovely to see, you know, I, I, I can't underplay, you know, singers and singer-songwriters, but it's good to see girls with guitars and stuff, drums and bass. That's, you know, a lot of that, power behind that. Yeah, I think that was one of, you know, we mentioned Glastonbury earlier and um, having been there a few times myself and, play, and played there, one of the highlights for me was seeing Beyonce headline um, the Pyramid stage and come out with an all-female group and there were about 15 musicians on stage and it was absolutely just incredible, you know. Top. Yeah, awesome. I mean, how, what, but at her stage, of course, you can, like, pay anybody, can't you, in, that, in the world? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, good, good for her that she did. It's, it's really nice to show that, yeah, women can play these things. And I hope that, you know, when I kind of, whether I'm mentoring um, younger people or teaching them and so on I really try to sort of inspire people to empower themselves you know whether that's learning to do a bit of production or learning an instrument especially for for singers and especially for, for females because it gives you more control over what you do and that's one thing if I if I had my time again I would definitely like learn an instrument and and other gear as well although those options weren't really there at the time to do more production um, I definitely do that and have more control and uh, over what I did and the direction I, I was going all the time. Sure, yeah, I think that's a great bit of advice, man. Particularly like learn an instrument, you know, it's, it's just so beneficial. Yeah. Um, okay, Vix, we are going to have to wrap things up here, but awesome. I just want to ask one more question before I love you and leave you. What do you think is the most important? component of becoming a world-class artist or musician okay I'm gonna have to quote my dad here who unfortunately is no longer with us but was amazing man um headmaster had an OBE for his services to education and so on as well and great dad and he used to say be yourself only more so be yourself only more so I love that I know it's not and it's, it's relevant for you know, like I don't know, even if you were going to an interview or something, but certainly if you're performing or if you're, you know, just, but yeah, just be who you are, but be more of that. Be more of the stuff that you want to be and push it out there. There you go. Yeah, unapologetically. 
Yeah. <laughs> Amazing stuff, man. Thanks so much for coming on today, Vix. Sharing your story with us and all your words of wisdom and, and letting us, you know, giving us an insight into you as an artist and as a creative. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. It's really, really cool to talk to you. You have been listening to the Art and Business of Music podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please do follow us on all the social media platforms and subscribe to us on your favorite streaming service. And I'll see you next time.